Hey, everybody. This is interesting. Now, couples who struggle and couples who struggle with commitment issues may have attachment issues from their childhood. We're talking with relationship expert Dr. Scott Stanley about that up next on The Matt Townsend Show. Good afternoon. I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Following up last night's debate, President Barack Obama is telling voters that this election should come down to trust. At a campaign rally in Florida, the president told a crowd of 11,000 that he has been honest with his plans for the next four years. But he says Mitt Romney is doing anything he can to hide his real positions and win the election. The Romney campaign has been quick to respond to the charge, claiming that the Obama team has no new ideas for the closing weeks of election season and are thus resorting to a new wave of attacks. A national poll has the two candidates essentially tied with the president leading by a statistically insignificant 1%. An Indiana law to pull funding from Planned Parenthood has been blocked by a federal appeals court. Critics of the law say it would have barred thousands of low-income people from getting important medical care. The three-judge panel ruled that Indiana could not block funding to a specific and qualified Medicaid provider because that would infringe on Medicaid recipients' right to choose who they receive care from. Officials from Planned Parenthood argued that if the funding was cut, they would have to close seven locations around the state, forcing 21,000 people to find health care elsewhere. With unconventional oil and gas harvesting techniques expanding rapidly, the jobs created by the growing industry are cutting into U.S. unemployment. A new report released by IHS Global Insight today says that the unconventional oil boom is supporting 1.7 million jobs this year and expects that number to grow to 3 million by 2020. New drilling techniques currently account for about 2 million barrels of oil production a day, Forecasters expect that number to increase to 4.5 million barrels by 2020, which would mean that unconventional methods would account for two-thirds of the 6.3 million barrels the U.S. produces daily on average. Apple launched their latest tablet today. The new iPad mini has finally been unveiled, and the specs are about what tech insiders expected. The device is sized to compete with Amazon's Kindle series and others, with a screen measuring in at 7.9 inches. The new iPad is about the width of a common pencil, and though there is still no official word on price, rumors are floating around that the base model will only be $250, less than half of the full-sized iPad. Apple's big news comes just three days before Microsoft is set to launch their new Surface tablet, which will run Windows 8 and is meant to compete with the full-sized Apple product. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on our program every Monday through Friday to help you and your loved ones grow healthier, happier lives, hopefully survive this crazy thing we call life. We've got the crew on board. Uh, they're um, They're all debated out. They've got debate exhaustion. Debaustion, we call it. And uh, you guys ready to vote? Yes. I don't want to know who you're voting for, please. 
But you're I ready? Think they even have this early voting thing. I'm going to try it out. Yeah, a lot of people <laughs> have been talking about it. You already it. voted? I already voted. Well, absentee ballot. Yeah, no, we're not talking too. about BYU's student body president. Oh, we're not? No, <laughs> no, never mind. Anyway, next. <laughs> Thanks, though, Sky. Uh, who, what do you think? What do you think about the debates? I didn't even tell you we were going to talk about this, but it just came to my mind that that was a big deal. I missed it. You, you I what? can't believe it. I watched the first two. I popped popcorn everything. What were you doing? I don't know. I was in my car or something. I wasn't really paying attention. Really? Were you on a date? Monday nights. No. no we'll talk about that later. No, but. Okay. How about you, BT? I may or may not have taken a nap. You don't remember? <laughs> it's, I were was you with yourself all it. night? I guess it was just me and myself. I actually just tweeted through the whole thing because I was watching my son's performance. Did you Did you live tweet? or I just read live tweet. Oh, okay. It was just as good as being there, I hear. <laughs> uh, yeah, Madison, you had something to say, I could tell, because you love a good debate, unless you're sleeping. Oh, actually, I was. I went to bed yesterday at 6.45. Oh, my gosh. It was, it was crazy, but right. it felt no, really hard. good. I bet it did. <laughs> I haven't done 6.45 yeah. p.m. Yeah, p.m. It's because I only got like 15 minutes. Of well, sleep it's amazing. You slept through our show yesterday. Why would you need more sleep? <laughs> I did not sleep through the show yesterday. I was okay. tired. I was not asleep. Uh, she definitely <laughs> she slept totally did. Did you yeah. see that? I saw it. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I mean, it's, and then we talked about Bryce's pillow and how he, he gums it up with slobber. And then the floor was gummed up. The flirt? The floor. Oh, the floor. You got to work on that. Um, Moving nope. along. Um, <laughs> anyway, okay. Well, apparently this uh, this election thing's got about two more weeks, Ugh. as of today, right? Kidding me. So, yeah. but early it's as vote. big as the Olympics. It only comes once every four years. It is. You know, it's it, like people complain. This Olympics thing's going on way too long. Yeah, no. This oh, is. I can't wait for four. Now it's just getting busy. It's now just getting started. This party's getting started. So everybody out there, you know, do your duty. Go vote. That's the advice we give. That's about all we'll give you on that. Now, we've got some other news. Apparently, uh, it's hard to be human. And we have some of the good, the bad, the ugly, the stupid human tricks that people play just trying to make it through this crazy thing called life. What have you got for us, BT? Okay, did you hear about the boy with the golden foot? No. Okay, well, it might as well be made of gold with how much value he's going to get yes, out of it. Yes, let's hear about this Okay, this guy. kid, Austin Reko, R-E-H-K-O-W. I'm not going to try and pronounce yeah, don't, that. Yeah, that was hard. This kid in high school kicked a 67-yard field what? goal. Okay, okay do you pros? Know, do you know what the pro... Is that a big 65 deal? 65 yards is the pros, right? 63. I mean, I used, to, yeah. I used to swim 67 yards, so I just was... That's like, that's like that's the same. That's a big deal or not. It's a lot like that. 67-yard field goal in high school. Yeah, and it was a good kick. Like, he it made, didn't just, like, just like cool. bump its way in. No, it it had room. He is legit. What, where, where, I bet it's Texas, if I'm a betting man. No, I had room, but not a lot of room. Like, maybe a foot. Oh, was this on YouTube? Yeah. Was, you yeah. could see the kick. Yeah, you can you can look it up. Um, no, this kid was in what? Uh, Spokane? Yeah. Oh, wow. Non-Texas. Not Texas. Weird. They don't kick the ball there. They just run it through people. Or <laughs> Everything something. they do in Texas is bigger. Coming that from is, Texas. That's a big kick, so the pros are going to like him. Oh, colleges. The <laughs> yeah. yeah. Scouts are currently trying to get his information. Yeah, you know, I that's incredible. You know, that's his, that's going to be a problem. Is it, how old is he? Uh, he's a senior. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was just thinking they're going to haunt him because he got one really good kick off. You know, right. anybody could do anything once, right? S- Not that sixty-seven Not that. yards and the longest kick ever. 
69 yards. Whoa. Man. So that's big time. Pretty close. Okay. Well I like done, that. Sirs. Does that include uh, NFL stuff? The, yeah. 69, 69 wow. yards. Yeah. You'd think with a little wind you could have done a little further. <laughs> Maybe. You'd think. You'd think. A little carry there. Hmm. Interesting story. Anybody else got news? Well, um, turns out that there are some male beluga whales that try to imitate human speech. It's, I don't believe it. <laughs> it kind of sounds like singing in the shower or something like that. But um, they captured this audio of a whale imitating people. And they were like, what is that at first? And they figured out that it was the whale. Because when you hear it, it kind of sounds like someone's just speaking out underneath the water. And Sky, can you play the clip? Yes. <laughs> Worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> it's I know, like it's, it's, like, it's like when you wake me up from a nap. I think it's a scuba diver in the beluga whale's stomach. Saying, get me a little here. Holy cow. No, yeah, but apparently it's... When That's you hear impressive. like the normal sound of a beluga whale, like it's several octaves lower than what they usually sound I heard like. that they were on America's American Idol. That they had one, a beluga whale. He's imitating whale. Felix from last week, the skydiver. You know, <laughs> Felix, how are you doing? <laughs> Isn't that... Um, that's interesting. See, the sad thing is the whale is going to be disappointed when he realizes that that's not how humans sound. Yeah. but And he's practiced all that time. It's kind of crazy, though, because apparently there was this whale that, like, a diver went into the tank. And then it came back up and it was like, who told me to get out? You know? And then they were like, <laughs> um, no like... one told you anything. And so apparently the beluga whale had made a sound like, get out. But to me, I feel kind of like, whoa. Like well, the beluga speaking the, to me. We need to we need to get them in check. All right. <laughs> yeah. If we don't they're, stop this now, they're 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 learning too much. Wait right? till they can walk. You know right. that terrible moment when somebody tries so hard to learn another language and they walk in. Hey guys, I learned something in German. V gets is Ihnen guten Morgen, and you're so proud. You walk out, and then after everybody leaves, the, the German speakers go. Wells, lousy, absolutely, absolutely <laughs> terrible. What a piece of trash! <laughs> See, that's that's the problem. That poor whale goes back in the water and he's like, "Oh, you can't even say it right." Terrible. I bet they're in there Accents just laughing. Way off. They're like, "Watch how these humans <laughs> act when I talk." It freaks them out. That's so funny. That is weird. Okay, so apparently we're we're uh, there's a language that our language is not that advanced. Here's one for you. What if I told you that there was a woman that had been raised by monkeys for real? I'd believe you. Would you? Yeah. I've seen You're Tarzan. Talking like a, yeah, like a Tarzan type thing going on yeah, here? Yeah, check this out. Uh, at the age of five, this woman named Marina Chapman tells stories about, well, she, now she's an adult, but she wrote a book called The Girl With No Name, The Incredible True Story of the Girl Raised by Monkeys. And uh, Marina Chapman lived in Colombia, was reportedly kidnapped and abandoned in the jungle, left for dead. Scary. She Fun. managed to join a tribe of capuchin monkeys, copying what they ate and drank, their social activities, their language, until she was part of the family. And she stayed there for five years. So it says she managed to join the tribe. Did she have to do like an avatar thing? Like get well, accepted no, by you them? Got, it's, like you get gang, you, it's like a gang. You get, what is it, beat in or beat out of the gang. I wonder what her initiation process no, was like. You do not want to know. <laughs> I, but I'll guarantee oh it involved a banana and some raisins. 
you just True eat story. <laughs> She's officially now. Check this out, though. That's monkeys, okay? Marina Chapman, she monkeys, eat the banana Colombian, with the peel. Still but she's on. not the only <laughs> one. Yeah, you got to eat the whole <laughs> thing. But there was another lady in 2012 from Russia that they discovered a toddler who'd been locked in a room with goats by his mother. So he had been raised by goats. Their boy reportedly played and slept with the goats, but nourishment was apparently hard to come by as he weighed a third less than the typical child of that age. So hard for a human stomach to digest cans. Now, I've milked a goat, <laughs> and they're, so it's not pretty. They're very stubborn things. Doctors have since tried to acclimate the toddler uh, to human life with some difficulty. He refused to sleep in the cot. He tried to get underneath and sleep, I guess, underneath somewhere, and he was very scared of adults. If it comes from a garbage can, you can't eat it. So would you rather be raised by a monkey, a goat, or here's another person that was raised by feral cats and dogs. In 2009, in Siberia, this five-year-old girl named Natasha was left in a house where she was uh, had many dogs and feral cats that shared the space. Like her furry companions, Natasha lapped up food from bowls left on the floor. She didn't know any human words and only communicated with hisses and barks. So she was a feral human. She was a feral human. That's awful. Another lady in Argentina, a one-year-old baby, I mean, for one year was raised by cats. The cats reportedly kept the boy alive during, uh, boy, uh, during the freezing winter nights by laying on top of him and even tried to lick the crusted mud from his skin. No, see, the cats do that anyway because you have all, all the time you hear those horrible stories of the cat getting in the crib with the baby and trying to suffocate the baby. It's all the cats were trying to do there. They just didn't do a very good job at it. <sighs> Can you imagine? No. Dogs. I, I was going to say, I've only met cats that, you know, treat people like their staff. <laughs> yeah. And so where <laughs> are these cats? Mind, see, these are the service cats. <laughs> these, these are the nice these cats. These are the service-oriented. <laughs> these are like Sylvester the cat. Uh, another guy, was a Chilean boy, was found that was raised by wild dogs, a pack of wild dogs for at least two years. And another boy was raised by a pack of wolves. Uh. Okay, so if you had to pick between a wolf, a dog, feral cats, a goat, or monkeys, how would you want to be raised? Bum, bum, pass. Bum, 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 pass. Goats. Next question. Goats for sure. Goats. How about you, Madison? That's a very interesting question. I, th- I could see you going with the goats. No. That'd be, ugh. no. no. Uh, dogs. Dogs. Like dogs. Bing. Okay, Sky Boy. Monkeys. Monkeys. Yep. That explains a lot. Um, <laughs> that is, I don't know. I mean, but then, now check this out, and we're going to get into this in today's topic. So let's say you've been raised by a monkey. What kind of partner are you going to be when you get married someday? You're going to be throwing, throwing stuff. <laughs> You're going to be throwing stuff around the did house. You, did you hear that silence? They're all like, oh. You're going to get in trouble. You're going to be picking at your wife's hair, getting some stuff out of it. Okay, but I'm sure there's a lot of things. Mm, that there's a come. pizza crust in here. Is that pizza? Oh, but isn't that weird? I mean, think about it for real. How we are raised, or I guess by what animal group we're raised by, will apparently impact... Everything. Isn't there a phrase like, oh, they were raised by animals or a pack of wolves, something yeah. like that? I affectionately call my sisters and my mom a pack of women. <laughs> but I mean it with all the love in my heart. A, a murder of women? A murder? A mur- no. What, what, no. Is that for crows? That's for crows, A yeah. murder of crows? Probably the worst, like, yeah, that's, herd name. Yeah. 
of yeah. them all. But crows are murderous. Yeah. Uh, anybody got, else got news? Well, Apple's big announcement this week. You all oh, heard? Oh, this is cool. Yeah. Guess what's up for sale? Up for sale? Mm-hmm. A new product? No, the original Apple One. I didn't know. Now, if if what? you were at a uh, yard sale, for instance, and you saw somebody had an old, because you remember the old Apple Twos. Uh-huh. I mean, I remember elementary school playing yeah. on them. Oh, they're great monochrome monitor. They'd maybe beep. They could type stuff in them. The I don't know. That? They weren't particularly useful, but they were huge. It's one of the first big mass-produced computers, the old Apple Twos. Well, what if you found an Apple One, which is I wish I could show this to you, but I could show it to the guys here in the studio. It's it's like an Apple II without the case. Whoa. It's really ugly. What? You hook it up to it's a just TV. A bunch of pieces. Oh, and yeah. it's, it's, you do your download the, the, in a cassette, an audio yeah, the, cassette. It, yeah, an audio cassette. The main board just sits out in the open where you can spill water on it. If you found one of these at a yard sale, would you buy it? What's it costing me? Well, uh, ten bucks. Absolutely. And see, that would be a good instinct to have because one of these went up for auction in New York what this last did summer get? and sold for $374,500. Wow. I, I guess they're, they're, they're so – Did the games A lot of people it? must have poured water on them because there's almost none of them, no working ones left in existence. It's kind of like leaving that part exposed was a poor design decision. It's almost like they didn't think that one through. Right. That's how they learned. Yeah. I mean, that company was doomed, doomed from the start. dollars Yeah, they'll Apple never make it with nowhere it could possibly like go after that. Holy cow. See, there's money in this. There's money, Sky. So, if I was uh, there, I would have bought it. You would have bought it. Right? Bought anyway, it, you so. can forget getting a little baby iPad. Get did one you, of these instead. Did you see the new iPad bait? What are they calling that one? I don't know. Mini. mini. I'm yeah, not buying mini. it. iPad mini? That just sounds weird. I kind of think the iPad baby sounds cute. <laughs> um... Okay. <laughs> I've had baby. That's a great way to alienate people your male market. already love their objects too much. You know, people care about their pets more than their We're neighbor. We're going to make up a name for it. That's a new contest. iPad more than their pets. And then pretty soon you have some lady, hush, little iPad, don't say a word. Mom is going to buy you a charging cord. <laughs> It's gone Is there a too second far. To that? We got, okay. It's got to stop. Here's the deal. 801-422-0143. 801-422-0143. You send us in your new, the, a new name for the iPad Mini. It's got to be classy. We're going we're gonna to give away a book to the winner. The best name for the iPad Mini. 801-422-0143. Or text us at mattchat at byu.edu, and we'll be giving you away a copy of my book, Starve Stuff, and uh, we'll get that right out. It'll even be autographed, which actually increases the value easily by cents. Um, (laughs) We'll be back after this. When we come back, we're going to be talking about marriage, love, relationships, what may be stalling you from moving down the road into the love fest, right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. How do you decide which tools to pack on a trip? NASA is developing a machine that will give future space explorers a toolbox that's virtually unlimited. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. When you take a long road trip, 
The stuff you take with you is pretty much limited to what you can carry in your trunk. If you need something special that you didn't pack, you can simply stop somewhere and get it. NASA space explorers don't have that option. That's why the space agency is developing the capability to build custom tools and spare parts to order, even in microgravity. The method is called electron beam fabrication, or EBF3. The futuristic process uses an electron beam to melt raw material in a vacuum chamber. Using a detailed 3D computer drawing for a guide, the beam can create virtually any mechanical part. EBF3 has many promising applications. Aircraft materials can be made for about $1,000 per pound less than conventional means, and far less metal is wasted in the process. Future astronauts could manufacture vital tools or spare parts in space. That could mean the difference between continuing a long-range mission instead of making an emergency return to Earth. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA. Parenting can be a tricky business, and we all know families don't come with a handbook. That's why we can learn from world-traveling family coaches, the Ayers. Join the Ayers on the Road for family, parenting, and general life advice. Monday and Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are talking about marriage, in a way, but relationships and uh, kind of our, maybe a little bit our fear to commit, the fear of overextending, the fear of being hurt. And we're going to be bringing on Dr. Scott Stanley, who really is a world-renowned expert in marriage and family, one of the most, uh, well, you know, one of the, one of the most, I guess, followed um, experts in marriage and family and uh he's gonna we're gonna just pick his brain for a while and try to figure out what's the key to marriage you know what about cohabitating what about having a little trial balloon marriage even though we're not married maybe living together does that impact our marital uh satisfaction or our marital rates stuff like that and before we go there though we got to get uh, some people dating so rob yes. has put together a piece. Now, Rob, explain well, this little this bit. Well, this is a bit terrifying for, for me too, because most of the time I come on with these stupid pieces, and they're a little bit tongue in cheek. It's media; you try to exaggerate a little bit. But this one actually is about this, one of the most personal ones. I've this done. is and about I'm, you, right? Yeah, in the core. where I'm at. What point so of life you're dating? I'm in the, you're a young twenty-something, good-looking stud. Working well, for the Matt Townsend I am, show. I am 20-something. And you are good-looking. I don't know about the, the other part and, there. but And so you are um, you opened up in this. Prob- yeah. And so. It's good. Oh, well. No one's ever rock died and on roll. this show. So here it is. Our executive producer, Rob Sanders, thinks he had an epiphany about dating over the weekend. Okay, so I'm single in my late 20s. And I can't believe I'm about to you know admit this on national radio, but... Never had a girlfriend. What? Great, now the cat's out of the bag. Ah! 
Now, you may have a son or grandson who's like me, you know, college grad, good kid, holding down a job, and you just can't figure out, why isn't he pairing off? Well, let me take you on a trip into my mind. Maybe that can help you better understand what's going on in the mind of some young man you're worried about. Now, I'm not single because I'm not trying. I'm not one of those guys who just sits around my apartment every night playing video games. It's a university town. Plenty of ladies to hang out with. I try so hard. And there must be three or four nights a week I'm at somebody's house with a group watching a movie or playing a board game or something. And up until now, I've kind of figured, well, if I hang around the girl long enough, I'll know if I want to ask her out and... You know, we'll become friends or something. I don't know. I, I've never made that part happen. Loser. So Saturday, I'm sitting at a wedding reception with a buddy of mine, and I notice that all of our mutual friends are now paired off with their girlfriends, fiancés, or their wives. And really, for the first time ever, I feel like I've been marooned. frown on my face that night. I was standing there brushing my teeth, getting ready for bed, and I looked in the mirror and thought, you know, it's time I rethink my strategy here. In this town, there's a lot of single Mormon guys who commit way too fast. I just realized I commit way too slowly. By anyone's standard. Saturdays ago, I talked with this girl at the tire store while our cars were being worked on for two hours. We talked about her experience living up in Alaska over the summer. She asked about my job here. Car finished, I paid, went to leave. And did I ask her for her number? Well, no. I mean, that wouldn't be the polite, respectful, gentlemanly thing to do, right? I mean, I, I hardly know her. Okay, then, well, what about the girls I hang out with regularly on weeknights? I know them a bit better, so do I ask them out? Well, no. I mean, I don't know if I really like her, and I certainly wouldn't want to hurt her feelings by, you know, leading her on, and so I'm doing the right thing. Right? Well, if I rule out the girls I want to ask out, what does that leave me with? Well, you know, my sixth-grade teacher calling my mom to set me up with her friend's friend's daughter, or... Or the dates where I drove all the way down to L.A. to go on a blind date with a girl 10 years older than me. You know, dates where I feel like I have nothing to lose. But now I'm starting to realize I have nothing to gain. But there's little risk of anybody getting hurt. All the little videos they used to show in elementary school back in the early 90s. They taught us safety first! And that's the word that smacked me across the cranium this weekend. Risk! I'm missing risk! I'm afraid to ask out the girls I really want to ask out because I might lead her on or she might reject me and then somebody could get hurt and nobody needs to get hurt. So the other day I was chatting with a relationship expert who is not Matt Townsend. Just a little rude. It hurts. Sorry, Matt. And he told me to get hurt! Everybody hurts! He says, all relationships are based on honesty and commitment. And even if I'm mildly interested in a girl, if I don't ask her out, 
I'm being dishonest with her. Honesty. I never thought of it that way. So in the coming months, I'll give this a try and, you know, let you know how it goes. And if it works for me, great! You can tell your adult son or your grandson that and say, even that weird kid on the radio figured it out. And hopefully that can inspire some confidence. And if I crash and burn, oh well, your son or grandson and I, we can go back to just playing some video games and we'll just pretend none of this ever happened. Good work, Rob. I kind of regret that, but it's too late now. Oh, you can't regret it because Dr. Scott Stanley hopefully heard some of that. We're going to come back with him and let him help us help you. Good, I need it. <laughs> because I don't know that you do. You're you're still young. I think the world is probably out there thinking, "Don't hurry." I'm I'm when I get to that point, I'm sure I'm be fine to commit. It's just it's scary. scary at first. I want to be a gentleman. Yes, and you're I a nice. Any, I don't want anybody gentleman. to get hurt. But apparently, I got to hurt people to get anywhere. And maybe you just got to hurt yourself. Yeah, that's or that's risk the getting hurt. We will be talking with Dr. Scott Stanley, who is a research professor and co-director for the Center for Marital and Family Studies at the University of Denver. He really is an incredible source and resource for us. We'll be back with Scott Stanley after this on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM One Forty Three BYU Radio. Get your business in the game and sponsor Cougar Sports on BYU Radio and BYU TV. For more information, call 801-422-1448 or email corporate support at byu.edu. Good afternoon. I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Last night's debate was won by President Barack Obama, according to the registered voters surveyed in a Reuters online reaction poll. According to the poll, 47 percent of voters think the president won the exchange versus 31 percent who feel Romney won. Despite the victory for for the Obama campaign, analysts do not expect, expect there to be much of a boost in the polls for the president. National polls have the two candidates essentially deadlocked, and neither of the two men saw an increase in favorability ratings due to last night's debate. One of the president's comments from last night has been met with some shock on Capitol Hill. President Obama told the American people that he would not allow $109 billion in automatic spending cuts to go into effect at the beginning of next year. The announcement has sparked a rise of hope in many congressional Democrats that the president has a plan to replace the potentially crippling automatic cuts. But many Republicans have remained skeptical, chalking this up to nothing more than an announcement which, with no plan behind it. The Republican-led House has already passed a solution to the looming cuts, though it is very unlikely that the Democratic-controlled Senate will even consider it, especially with the hope for another solution provided by the Obama administration. Consumers are getting back to spending and have raised the nation's gross domestic product, but experts say the pace is too slow to bring up stubborn unemployment numbers, to bring down stubborn unemployment numbers. The GDP was up 1.9% annually in the third quarter of this year, which is a solid improvement, though still quite short of the 25 to 3% economists say is needed to put a dent in the 7.8% unemployment. 
The Commerce Department will release a full GDP report this Friday, just over a week ahead of the coming election. With the candidates essentially in a dead heat, the report is not expected to do much to change the dynamic of the race so close to the end. Some of the leading world powers may take some long-shot diplomatic moves in regards to the Iranian nuclear program. Negotiations over Iran's efforts have been a continuing worldwide effort for over a decade, and some of the major players are now considering re-evaluating tactics with the chance of new talks after the November 6th U.S. election. The plan may be to try and leverage the tough sanctions that have been hammering the Iranian economy, offering relief in exchange for an agreement from Iran to have stricter limits on their nuclear efforts that would help guarantee the end goal is not an atomic bomb. You are listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody. Love is a battlefield. Boom. Excuse me. Pat Banatar there. That actually brings back a ton of memories. Uh, Nothing scarier, I guess, than love, as Rob, our producer, just uh, shared uh, last time. We're going to be bringing on now Scott Stanley, professor, uh, Ph.D., research professor, co-director for the Center of Marital and Family Studies at the University of Denver. He, he really is uh, an amazing expert um, in this field, and I actually feel very fortunate to have him on the show. Uh, he's also one of the developers of the program called the Prevention and Relationship Enhancement Program, or PrEP. It has been out there. It's, one of the, it's probably the most researched marriage and family program to learn communication, conflict resolution skills. He's the author of other books like Fighting for Your Marriage, 12 Hours to a Great Marriage, and The Power of Commitment. He's also co-authored a bunch of other curricula. Uh, Dr. uh, Scott Stanley is with us. Thank you so much, Dr. Stanley, for joining us. Hey, Matt. Great to be on the show. Appreciate it. And I really appreciate your love for relationships. It sounds like what you're into lately is more of the pre-marriage relationship. Yeah, over the last 10 years, uh, you know, I'm a little older. I'm 57, (laughs) and... uh, or the last 30 years, you know, we've, uh, my colleagues and I, like Howard Markman, you know, we've focused a lot on marriage and preparing people for marriage and helping people in marriage. And over the last 12 years or so, uh, we and uh, our colleague Galena Rhodes and some others have really gotten much more into what happens before marriage. That It started with becoming very interested in research on premarital cohabitation and what's really the story there and why does it seem to be, you know, riskier for some people despite what most people think. And it's really grown from there into just a lot of thinking and thought about how commitment develops or huh. doesn't these days and what's so challenging about it for people. Is the, is the development of commitment changing just with the times? I guess as technology, as options, as things are changing, that's impacting it as well? Yep, that's one of the theories of, of why it's changing is that we live in a society where, uh, you know, the uh, iPad mini announcement today, you know, you, you always, you have, especially if you're gadgety, you know, you have this yeah. sense, of, well, I can get this phone or I can do this or I can get this tablet or whatever. And then, you know, something I might like better is going to come along, you know, four weeks later, six weeks later, two months later. 
and that adds to what's always been difficult. I, I think this has actually always been a difficulty for people, but I think it's just pressed that much further in our kind of culture. It's like a we consumer mentality. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, it's like, I, if you think about somebody looking for the love of them, their lives and they're standing in a train station, people have a lot of fear of getting on the wrong train. Yeah. And they have a lot of fear that, okay, well, I'm going to get on this train and I think that's the one that's going to go the best down the tracks for me in life. But what if that perfect train is like the next one in the station and I've already left? Uh. People, part of what happens is commitment. If you're really making a commitment, uh, you're deciding to give, you're deciding to make a, a choice to give up other choices. That's what commitment really is. Oh, that's a great definition. So you're making a choice to give up other choices. Yes. So we live in a culture that really kind of screams at us. Never do that. Never mm-hmm. give up your options. Yeah, keep Never all your, your options choices. open. That's right. And you cannot have a deeper, richer life with uh, a person and with a family unless you can really grab hold as an individual and decide, I'm not only okay with that, I understand that, and I get it that that's the way it is, and I need to choose to do that. Hmm. Is it... Um it's interesting. I guess it's this mentality, too, that there is this perfect one out there. Yeah, that's another. Uh, and I've, I've wondered about whether or not that's sort of like a newer, strong idea fed by the mentality of the consumer culture or the market. Uh, a lot of the time, I think, the, the, and that's one version of sort of the soulmate angle is the way I talk about it. Yeah. Just sort of everybody would like to, you know, marry their soulmate in a way. But for some people, the definition of that, it isn't just, hey, we share key values and desire in life or the desire to build a life together. For some people, it goes beyond that, and it has this extra wildly unrealistic meaning of, I'm going to find this person that's so perfect for me and think I'm so perfect for mm-hmm. them, uh, that we're not going to struggle. We're not going to have problems. We're not going to divorce. Well, you know, what's that mean? That means when you actually have a real struggle because you've actually really committed to a real person, you start to look around and think, uh, oh, you know, I didn't get my soulmate because I wouldn't struggle with my soulmate. Yeah. So it's a crazy idea in terms of the reality of what is otherwise, you know, a really healthy, good marriage for life. Well, that seems so interesting because, yeah, what do you do when you're struggling with your soulmate? Or when you yeah. just have, you lose a child with your soulmate and you yeah. have to deal, I mean, just regular life stuff, not even interpersonal, not even related to your marriage, just you lost your job. Yep. Or he doesn't uh, provide. Or... Any one of those things, if, you're, if your sense of life together was defined by how perfect it was supposed to be, when you encounter imperfection, your love, your commitment's going to take a dent. Uh, I can remember this uh, survey from the National Marriage Project in 2002, uh, where they're presenting all their information about divorce trends and stuff. But they had this sub part of their report on why it's hard for men to commit. And it was very interesting because they had these uh, focus groups, and young men were saying things like, well, you know, I really got to find my soulmate. I'm looking for my soulmate. Now, they're like living with a woman right now, right. by the way, many of them. Yeah. And uh, so non-soulmate. <laughs> yeah, apparently. She's not only Housemate. Not, exactly. If she's not my soulmate, I wouldn't 
why would I let her in on that secret? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I thought, well, well that's kind of crass. But yeah. one of the really interesting things in these interviews with the guys is they said, well, uh, compared to what I'm doing right now with this woman, if I marry a woman, she'll tell me what to do. And, and I read that and I thought, no, dudes, you know, that's, <laughs> that isn't quite what you mean to say. What you really are thinking is if I marry her, she has the right to tell me what to do. Yeah. That I have now committed myself at a different level. And he put it all together. They were kind of saying, well, you know, the soulmate's just going to be really into digging me yeah. and not tell me what <laughs> to do. Unconditionally. <laughs> yeah, unconditional love, except it's unconditional yeah. uh, asymmetrical. You know? Well, your soulmate <laughs> wouldn't care if the toilet seat was up or down. That's exactly Your soulmate right, would have would no sense of... you. It's so, isn't that... An, it, it really is... And you know what? You can almost see that uh, that mentality would sort it would sort out a lot of people and a lot of families. Oh, it's yeah, it's uh, you know, it's a defining feature of uh, you know. A lot of people actually say this is exactly what they're looking for, and it's the most important thing in finding that person that they would make this big commitment to is that they've got to find their soulmate. Well, if it's the healthier definition, that's great. If it's the not-so-healthy, unrealistic definition, uh, it's like a, a famous Star Trek episode from, I think it was the early 80s, could have been the early 90s, I forget, but there's this uh, ambassador, and it's brought aboard the starship, and uh, he's got this female consort with her, and she's from this uh, uh, planet where the women are uh, what they call empaths. And these women... Uh, were so empathic, they they would tune themselves to whichever male is closest at the moment. So oh, I mean, wow. they have they have no needs, they have no desires. It's all about you, and I'm so into you, and I want to serve you. And well, that sounds like, like heaven. Oh, it doesn't sound they great. They found uh, heaven, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you th- that's what some people think. Not it everybody. Is. You know, that's what some people are actually kind of expecting, uh, and it's. The odds are not great that if they flip the question that they could honestly say, well, that's what I'm offering also. Isn't that interesting? And it's got to, to some degree, you know, it's got to be two ways if we want this thing to work, unless we actually did go to another planet where we found these women. Yeah, it really works well. It's two imperfect people that kind of struggle, but the commitment is it gets you through and you feel like you're conquering stuff together. I mean, that's like the real healthy stuff, yeah. uh, not this mirage. I love it. So um, what I want to do then, Scott, is we're going to come back, and I'd love you to just keep going and teach us, so kind of teach us what is the healthier view, um, how, how should we be progressing? And so I'm thinking, I mean, our listeners, this will be their children, their grandchildren, some people out there maybe that have been burnt from a first marriage, ready to go on to a second marriage. But how should we be progressing towards our marriages? I mean, I would love to also hear a little bit of the premarital cohabitation stuff. I mean, we always kind of think of the trial marriage. Is that is that a healthy thing? Is it a healthy yeah. thing to go out and cohabitate and test a bunch and just see, you know, which one's the best fit? Again, part of the consumer mentality, it seems like. Yep. But we'll come yep. back and we'll have you dive into all of that. We're talking to Dr. Scott Stanley from the University of Denver and feel so grateful, fortunate to have him with us. Talking commitment, talking relationships, how to make sure that our life has a great shot of making our relationships have a great shot of making a long-term marriage. Up next on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. 
world of flight, humankind is a newcomer compared to our avian comrades. So, maybe it's time to take a second look at how birds do fly right. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. Engineers at the University of Genoa in Italy have been testing how artificial feathers might improve a plane's performance. The focus isn't on a bird's long, stiff flight feathers, but rather a set of smaller feathers called coverts. Using a computer model, engineers coated the wings of a mock airplane with artificial bristles that mimic covert feathers. Testing in a virtual wind tunnel simulation showed that as the wind speed increased, the bristles started to vibrate in a similar way to real covert feathers, reducing the drag on the plane by 15%. The researchers explained that while artificial coverts could improve a plane's efficiency, they may need a self-cleaning system to mimic the way birds preen their feathers to ensure efficient performance. And if these fine feathered planes could use bird seed to fuel their engines, a revolution in aeronautics would surely take flight. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Are there some global issues you wish you could know more about or could get an inside perspective on? Notes from the Kennedy Center presents lectures and seminars from international diplomats and scholars discussing issues and events from all over the world. Become a more informed global citizen and tune into Notes from the Kennedy Center weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I want you back, baby. That's from the Jackson 5. Cute little Michael Jackson. Oh, what a cute little kid he was back in the day. Some of you don't even remember that. This was all pre-glove before he had that glove on his hand. Uh, today we're talking about commitment and, uh, you know, what the leading paradigms, the ways we think about relationships, about marriage. What are some of the ways that we're thinking about marriage that may be holding us back? And uh, we're also talking about commitment and how to get committed um, to a relationship, to be willing to lose yourself and make a marriage actually work. Now, our producer, Bryce Tobin, you may know as Bryce is right. He's the guy that always does the rants. Well, he may not be getting married soon, but that's not going to stop him from sharing his thoughts about miscommitment. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is The Bryce is Right. Let's not beat around the bush here. This is BYU. We're based out of Provo. And when you take all of Utah into consideration, I think it goes without saying, we're big on the idea of marriage. In these United States, most kids are getting married around 26. But here it's about 22. We're a bit of an oddity. It's fine, we know, and we aren't concerned about it. But there is something that I'm a little concerned about. Now, I'm not one to discourage marriage. It's your life, commitment's good for people, and I want people to do what makes them happy. But there's a common behavior that I see around here that makes me nervous. But first, I have to set the scene for you to really understand. 
Around here, not only are we known for getting married young, but we're also notorious for comparatively short courtship periods and subsequent engagements. This seems risky, but at the same time, I have a tender spot in my heart for people who don't waste time, so this level of efficiency does bring a tear of joy to my cantankerous eye. But around here, it's not uncommon to hear about an engagement after the second or third date. This is fine. What does concern me is what happens right after this. Suddenly, the focus of the relationship becomes all about the upcoming marriage and not the relationship. Never mind the fact that they still don't know anything important about each other, or they may have an utterly dysfunctional relationship. But what am I saying? Nobody has ever made a series of poor decisions after the onset of intense infatuation, right? Right? Fun fact, a marriage is not the same as a relationship. One gets tacked on to the other. I mean, if you're engaged, clearly you've got marriage on the brain, and a wedding isn't going to plan itself. But what I'm talking about is an unhealthy focus on marriage. It's treated like it's a finish line. Another fun fact, life is still around after you're married. And the worst part? You are still you. You have not transcended this mortal frame onto some higher plane of existence. When you wake up the next day, you're still going to have to brush your teeth because you have disgusting morning breath. Your level of intelligence is probably the same, and you're still entirely capable of bothering people, if not more so. That's just my opinion. But should you have the audacity, as I often do, to be an outsider and point this out to one of the engaged strolling around campus, be prepared for an earful. From this behavior, I have what I call the sign of miscommitment. It's a lot like doing a good thing in the wrong way. It's like putting your bread in the toaster and then sticking cheese in between the slices and putting it in the microwave to melt the cheese. I mean, yeah, I guess that's a grilled cheese, but no, it's not one. The sign of miscommitment is if you try to justify, reconcile, argue, or frame your significant other's behavior and you start a sentence with, yeah, but once we're married... Yeah, once you hear those words, I think it's time to start having some important conversations with the people closest to you. Oh, and if the divorce rate has anything to say, the marriages we Americans make are really bad at solving pre-existing relationship conditions. In fact, they tend to make them worse and bring totally new ones to the table. Look, there's nothing wrong with being goal-oriented. Some great stuff comes from marriage, but let's just make it there the right way. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. Wow. Little Brycey threw together a good one there. Wow, that guy, he even made up a word. Miscommitment. Um, okay, so we're bringing on Dr. Scott Stanley, uh, who is really is one of the great leaders in the field of marriage enrichment, marriage and family. Uh, Dr. Scan- Stanley is the author of a bunch of books, one including Fighting for Your Marriage, 12 Hours to Great Marriage, The Power of Commitment. He's authored also or co-authored the curricula such as PrEP, Within my reach, within our reach, and on my shoulders, uh, Dr. Scott Stanley out of the University of Denver. Dr. Stanley, welcome back with us. Thanks, Matt. Did you hear? Did you hear Bryce's rant there? I, I not only heard it; I thought it was uh, really terrific and very insightful. Now you may not want to tell him because it might get I know. Head, but, <laughs> it's but, totally. He gets all cocky. That, that was very good, and I actually thought very insightful uh, because. There, there are a lot of people. I think this is a really big deal. There's a lot of people that, uh, in fact, we can put this in the context of cohabitation because I think this is, yeah. this is a very common kind of dynamic these days, uh, which is that you have a lot of people, even conservatively religious people, who kind of think, well, this is a good idea. You test some things out and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, and the issue there is that the research has never really shown 
an advantage for it. Studies for decades have generally shown disadvantages being associated with it. Uh, and, you know, there's some data that's a push and some that, you know, it goes both ways at the moment in terms of where it's headed. But here's what we think actually happens related to it that's a trap for people, and then we can add this, this let's get married trap to it. Okay. Is it there's, what people don't get about cohabitation in America these days is it's perceived, and people are more or less even trained to think this way by the media and everything, it's perceived as costless relative to marriage. Yeah. So all the costs are loaded up with marriage, uh, but for some reason, living together, even starting a family together, intertwining your financial lives, somehow that's like no big deal and not much of a risk if you don't attach the marriage word to it. Uh, word to it. When What people are missing there is, especially when people move in together sort of earlier in the sequence of knowing a person, what they're doing is they're making it harder to break up before they've actually decided they want to be together. Mm. And, and that's a profound kind of an insight that people, you can't get that out of the culture. You can find some people on the Internet that sort of get that, but people are doing this all the time now. They, they slide into cohabiting, and then they find, oh, well, now it's going to be like a bigger hassle to yeah. break up. Now we have a dog. You're, you're not the awesome person I thought you were. Right. In fact, I'm pretty sure now you're not my soulmate, but now what do I do? Because yeah. now it's pretty hard to break up. That's interesting. We we are So it's funny. We make all these other commitments. We get a dog together. We get an apartment. We sign a lease. We share whatever, but we won't. But we haven't yet decided we actually want to be together. Right, and not overtly. And, and so there's all kinds of things that go wrong in that scenario. And, and by the way, just so that I've said the research finding, what we find is if uh, people wait till marriage or they're engaged, like mutual public engaged, yeah. before they live together, from a research perspective, they those couples all look better on average than the couples that live together before that clarity about the future is really there and mm-hmm. public and mutual. So what happens with a lot of people is, well, maybe once, sure, you know, I, I know I want you, uh, and I know you're a little reluctant, but I'll get you there, you know, right. I'll get you to the altar. I think that happens a lot. Uh, and, and what happens in those relationships, people just don't see this coming. And, and while certainly... Lots of cohabiting couples break up. What people don't factor in is I'm about to make it harder to break up with somebody that I really haven't decided yet I want to spend my life with. Yeah. Does it then, I guess, impact the next one? Yeah, because, well, let's talk about some big impacts and some small impacts. Yeah. Uh, just statistically, serial cohabitation is like a growing phenomenon now, and uh, meaning, you know, one after another. Right. Uh, living with Cheerios or something. Um, so people that have lived with more partners or have had sex with more partners, I mean, statistically, those are not good signs. For, and some of that it has to do with prior risks and, you know, what you were dealt with as a hand in life in your parents' relationship and all that kind of stuff. But some of it is, you know, you really, many people are sort of lowering their chances in the next relationship because at the very least, I'm spending a lot of time with this person that I'm not going to decide right. to hang out with or is not going to decide to hang And there's other opportunities that might have been my best one that are moving by uh, while I'm hanging out over here. Mm. More challenging what happens, and the research on this is just very clear, people um, 
uh, whatever else somebody believes or their values about sex before marriage, about birth control, and all these kind of things, statistically, people become less careful about not having a child, whatever that means for this couple, once they're living together. They also tend to be having more sex because they're like, they're together. You are. Yeah. yeah, right. So you know what happens when you're less careful about whether you're having a child right. or not and you're having more sex is... So wow. now we're having kids and we're right. in an un... I guess, committed or less committed, potentially marriage. Yeah, and here's a really big big deal. I mean, policy people argue about this a lot without sort of getting the essential thing to argue about. It's not that those two people, because that happened, became bad parents as right. individuals or something. But what happened there that's really challenging now for this kid is this kid's now in the world, brought into the world by two people that hadn't decided beforehand let's raise a kid together. Hmm. Let's do a family. So it's not like they're bad individuals. No. But here's this kid, and they didn't decide to do the kid thing together. They're just hanging out and having more sex, and here's a baby. So it's less intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Now that we get married, now we got like an, another giant, I call them in the research, constraints, which contribute to the inertia of this relationship continuing. And what our research shows is that all those things, you just give a really good insightful list about the lease or different things people can do, buying a puppy, you right. know, vacation plans together, sharing a gym membership. All those things increase the odds of a couple at the stage of life being together in the future, regardless of how dedicated they are to each other. Hmm. And you know what doesn't? Uh, in, in a study that we published two years ago, having a child together doesn't add at all to the likelihood of that couple staying together. Well, doesn't it actually decrease certain measurements of marital satisfaction? Yes, so you got two things going on there. So on the one hand, it's become uh, uh, you know more of a constraint to stay together, maybe even more of a desire, hey, I really want to be a parent of this child and leave a new mean especially if you're the male, mm -hmm. much less likely to be very involved in this child's life. So there's that part, there's the added stress and strain. So there's kind of a push and a pull. But the ironic thing is, is that uh, things like vacation plans, signing a lease, gym membership, cell phone plan together, they actually tell you more about whether a couple's likely to stay together than having a child together oh, in that context. And the reason is, is really pretty obvious when yeah. you start to think about it. We didn't decide to have the child together. Yeah. You have to decide to share a cell phone plan because you have to go sign the papers together. Oh, interesting. And just like you'd have to decide to go get married. Yes, exactly. There you go. It's you an go actual act. It's a commitment. Decision. And it's interesting. Yeah. It's a societal contract. You know, you're under, you know, legal obligation now. Yeah, somebody's going to be unhappy if you just decide bailing on the. the you can buy your way out of that cell phone contract, yeah. but uh, the more important part is the fact that you're in it you together represents it. some intention. I love uh, that. But wow, did having a child together represent any intention at all? That's a pretty big question. It really is. Oh, excellent stuff. Kate, we're going to take a break. Can you come back with us right in a few minutes, Dr. Stanley? Can you just hang on the Absolutely. line? Absolutely. Okay, we'd yeah, love to sure. come back. When we come back, we'll have a big uh, block of time, and I'd really love to just have you tell us what should we be doing to prepare, to commit more, to, to be more in to our marriages. We're taking a break from Dr. Scott Stanley from the University of Denver, talking marriage and commitment right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
KBYU-FM, HD2 Provo. Travel the musical road of American history on Highway 89 Scenic Byway. With music from talented musicians from BYU campus and across the globe, Highway 89 brings you the best performances from classical to jazz and folk to rock. Tune in for a musical journey with Highway 89 at 10 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. An Indiana law to pull funding from Planned Parenthood has been blocked by a federal appeals court. Critics of the law say it would have barred thousands of low-income people from getting important medical care. The three-judge panel ruled that Indiana could not block funding to a specific and qualified Medicaid provider because that would infringe on Medicaid recipients' right to choose who they receive care from. Officials from Planned Parenthood argued that if the funding was cut, they would have had to close seven locations around the state, forcing 21,000 people to find health care elsewhere. The murder of a 10-year-old Colorado girl has been definitively linked to the attempted abduction of a jogger a few months earlier, according to local police. Authorities say that several tips and other evidence has allowed them to connect the two incidents, but so far they have not provided more details about the connection in order to preserve the integrity of the case. A police description of the attempted abduction victim's attacker portrays the suspect as a light-skinned man between 18 and 30 years of age. Authorities have also spread the image of a small wooden cross pendant to the public, which they believe may help lead them to the killer. With unconventional oil and gas harvesting techniques expanding rapidly, the jobs created by the growing industry are cutting into U.S. unemployment. A new report released by IHS Global Insight today says that the unconventional oil boom is supporting 1.7 million jobs this year and expects that number to grow to 3 million by 2020. New drilling techniques currently account for about 2 million barrels of oil production a day. Forecasters expect that number to increase to 4.5 million barrels by 2020, which would mean that unconventional methods would account for two-thirds of the 6.3 million barrels the U.S. produces daily on average. Apple launched their latest tablet today. The new iPad mini has finally been unveiled, and the specs are about what tech insiders expected. The device is sized to compete with Amazon's Kindle series and others, with a screen measuring in at 7.9 inches. The new iPad is also about the width of a common pencil at just 7.2 millimeters thick. The price point is a little higher than expected, with the base Wi-Fi-only model costing $329. Some critics are concerned the new tablet will cut into the full-size iPad sales, as the base model there is only $499. Apple's big news comes just three days before Microsoft is set to launch their new Surface tablet, which will run Windows 8 and is meant to compete with the full-size Apple product. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. A little bit of hollow notes. Man eater for some reason. <laughs> 
for some reason, producer Rob picked that one out. The one that's afraid of commitment. <laughs> it's cute, though. Oh, that's good. Okay, so we're talking to Dr. Scott Stanley and uh, really love the conversation um, Scott Stanley, again, is a marriage and family expert. He's a uh, co-director of the Center for Marital and Family Studies at the University of Denver and really understands, I think, commitment, um, the fears, cohabitation, everything we try to do instead of getting married. So, Dr. Stanley, welcome back with us. So hey, good to be back, Matt. So appreciate you and your insight. It's it's just it's interesting because so many people, like you were saying, they would think cohabitating is a costless problem. It's just you know we're just testing. Yep. But there's more to yeah. it than that. You're also in. You're also not committing. I mean, you're not making a choice to be married. Yeah. It's it's uh, in fact probably about. Uh, Two-thirds, you can get different estimates out of different samples, but about two-thirds of the couples cohabiting uh, really are sliding into it. And, and for some, it's, it's not only that there's not a discussion about what it is and what it means, you and me, etc. Uh, there's a subset within there, I couldn't tell you how big, but I think it's a growing and large group, where there's an intentional avoidance of that discussion because I think there's a lot of people around these days who you mentioned attachment earlier, I think, uh, on a break, you know, that they're insecure enough about attachment that they kind of don't want to press for clarity because they're afraid it will push the person away. Right. Well, the reality is, is unclarity when it lands you in a relationship where you're a lot more into the other person than they are into you. It's It's a bad deal. And, uh, Here's one of the pieces of advice uh, for your audience based yeah. on the, the question you gave me before the break is if, if you think about what people are doing now, one of the really gigantic changes, I think, is if you look at cohabitation, sex, uh, even having children, there's just all these things that historically people recognized are not you could maybe find exceptions as a researcher. I would put a different hat on just how I feel about it personally, but as a researcher, okay, sometimes maybe that wasn't life-altering or not, you know, in terms of what somebody went through. But all those transitions are either by definition or they're potentially life-altering. They, mm-hmm. could, al- they could alter every other option you're going to have now. Yeah, your job, your, your work, your ability to get educated. Everything. Yeah. If you're making a potentially life-altering transition you probably are being smarter if you're making a decision about it and let it instead of letting it just happen to you or letting it slide. Yeah, just kind of uh, easy, yeah. Yeah, so that's thinking, talking, deciding, maybe asking friend, talking with your partner. I mean, whatever else somebody's values or beliefs about the behavior and the meaning of it, uh, you're going to kind of just let it happen to you and change your life, or would you like to make a decision about things that are going to change mm. your life? It's interesting uh, that you wouldn't think that marriage was was that. I mean, the, the way they, the way I kind of hear people talking about it, it's just mar- marriage is just this social thing that's kind of going out of vogue. You know what I mean? Yep. It's not that big yep. of a deal. But you're, what you're kind of making is the case that no, it's 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 critical. It's choice. It's a it's an actual pivot moment where we're choosing something and leading our lives. Right. And here's the the a couple of scary details about it. I mean, part of why for some it's 
uh, cohabitation's a problem is that the transition into marriage isn't as much of a pivot moment because yeah. they're already being carried along by the inertia of everything came before. So I started living with you before really deciding anything about really wanting to have a life with you. I started parenting with you before really deciding I wanted to build a family with you. And now the next step is I'm being drawn into marriage and sort of here we are with a life together. But, you know, five years, ten years down the road, it gets hard. I'm sitting there thinking, how did I even get here? Yeah, I didn't didn't even choose this. Exactly. I didn't choose you. Mm. And at gut check time, the sense that I didn't even choose to be here, you're you're in a pretty big hole. Oh. Uh, you, you're pretty stuck. And you might have two um, kids by then or whatever. You might have two kids, a mortgage, you mm-hmm. know, all the, you know, everything. Um, and so one of the rules, or one of the lessons of some of that is, you know, if it's potentially life-altering, uh, recognize that these things actually are, and you should be making a decision. If it's really important to you, and I would say, hint, hint, it should be, um, <laughs> to really have somebody who's as committed to you as you are to them in life. The secret of that is you're looking for a mutual public declaration of commitment while the person still has relatively all their free will. Um, oh, and a lot of these things are sort of diminished from the culture, even I'm sure going steady is diminishing some. Ironically, an interesting artifact sort of, of uh, the electronic world that's making a comeback here is the public official thing on Facebook is yeah. actually a very good trend because that forces an interesting discussion. You can fake yourself out. A person can fake you out for a long time about whether there's equal or relatively equal commitment here. But when you have to start announcing it to other people, ah, so true. mutual public declarations are protective because it makes it harder to hide out. And that's the thing about marriage. I mean, if people really, really don't like the M word or the concept, they can take this point conceptually and sort of stick it in that loop if they want. Mm-hmm. But that is the powerful thing that marriage does is, it may or may not have been a good idea. You may have stumbled your way into it or whatever, but there's such a common, generic, big understanding of what that meant the two of you at least mean to say mm-hmm. publicly, uh, that that's, uh, that's a big part of the power of it. Yeah. It does say more than cohabitation comparatively doesn't even mean I'm off the market. Yeah, right. Uh, we know that from our data. I mean, one might be thinking that the others agreeing that that means we're off the market, but it does not mean that you're off the market unless it's accompanied by something like engagement or marriage. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? So, uh, talk about the attachment kind of issues because it seems like another issue with committing to other people is maybe some just don't know how. They they literally have never learned to attach into another hmm. being. I, I think that's a it's, a it's a great important point. I, I guess that's I, what I you were getting at, by the way, with the idea that with more and more of us maybe having more complicated family lives, you know, we're busier, we may not be, and we didn't necessarily intend to have this child, then maybe all of a sudden we're not even attaching in appropriately as parents. Yeah, I have a blog called Sliding Versus Deciding, and one of my favorite entries on that, people can go search for if they want, is yeah, the entry called the perfect, the perfect Storm. And what I describe in there is how even though the divorce rates come down some and 
somewhat people are being more careful about who they choose, and especially for college graduates, uh, divorce has actually come down quite a bit. It's, it's gone up for everybody else. But um, the number that keeps going up and up and up is the number of kids that are not going to be raised by their own two parents. So regardless of all these other trends, that number keeps going up. So it's an increasingly common phenomenon that, you know, little Billy is born and here's mom and dad and they maybe didn't really kind of decide to do the raising Billy together kind of thing. And they blow apart in two years. And it's not like either of those parents now have sworn off romance. You right. know, they're going to fall in love with somebody else. So let's say dad's even involved, but the kid's mostly living with his mom. Mom falls in love with another guy. Okay, maybe that gets pretty serious for nine months or 12 months or whatever. And then maybe that doesn't work, And but they live together for a while. Well, what's happening to Billy? Billy's attached maybe to the first one. Mm-hmm. He gets attached to the next one, maybe to dad. No one's staying. Gets, no one's staying in his life. I mean, are the odds that people are leaving his life keep going up? So what's happening to his little attachment system by the time he's 20 is he's either very anxious about attaching or very avoidant about attaching Mm. to other people. He's going to have a hard time settling down in a good choice and committing to somebody because he doesn't know what secure attachment looks like, or at least he's been a little more... Uh, he's been put at risk. Yeah. I mean, a, lot of these, a lot of kids turn out fine, by the way, with single parents and such. Sure. Clear. But that kid, he's at somewhat greater risk of having some issues about attachment that are now going to show up in his life and maybe be repeated downstream now in the next generation. Well, and, that's, and, and a lot of parents aren't even aware they're doing that. They're just, hey, I've got a life too, Scott. You know, I, what am I just right. supposed to sit here and not date? Yeah, uh, and that wasn't a yep, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. It's that if you've got a young child, what you are supposed to do or what you should do, I don't think should's a very bad word right. here, is, wow, maybe if you weren't being all that careful about protecting yourself, you need to step up your game about being protective about that little one because hmm. they are attaching to your partners if they're around much, especially if they move in. And that does have consequence uh, if that relationship then ends and they experience that a lot. Hmm. That's so going more, going slower is like almost always great advice in yeah. love life. Making decisions is going to be almost always great advice. And so we just added this important nugget. If you got a little one, either from a prior divorce, marriage, uh, non-marriage, whatever, for old thoughts about what's happening to that child into your thinking about, is this a good idea right now or not? Or should I do this a different way? Uh, that's important. I think that's great advice. Slower, making choices, uh, I guess, focusing, if there are kids involved, make sure you're focusing on the kids. Yeah. Um, Think about what they need, and don't don't for a moment try to convince yourself and succeed at it that this stuff doesn't matter for the child. That's just nuts. And that's true, I guess too. I, I have a lot of clients that are divorcing that, um, you know, they, they're you know, the kids are resilient. They'll they'll be fine. Exactly. Yep. But well, do the research. And, and there's truth in that. So that's yeah. Why I said exactly. That. I mean, the, so people shouldn't be like totally freaked about, well, I, you know, my kid's ruined forever and oh, hopeless because yeah. uh, the data don't support that. But we are talking about the kids at increased risk. Mm-hmm. There's just no doubt about that. So being a little more thoughtful now, you know, if your kid had a condition that made them more prone to skin cancer, wouldn't you 
want to be a little more vigilant now about uh, sunscreen. You know, if you knew this or this, if they were prone to diabetes and they didn't have insulin stuff working as well naturally in their body, hopefully you'd make some adjustments about their diet or about sunscreen or about their activities. You know, the same thing goes for your love life. You, you might need to be making some adjustments and be thinking, how does this affect the child and what's a good idea and what's maybe not such a good idea in terms of how I go through these things. That's good. Great advice. Um, We have about three minutes here, Scott. What, as we kind of think about commitment, um, if if people are out there dating and they, they kind of just sense that they're afraid, they're just, they're just afraid. They're afraid of being hurt. They're afraid of risking. What advice would you give them? I'm so glad you asked that. Uh, Here's the way I would think of it right now, just in light of this discussion. Spend a bit of time, maybe even talking with a friend, if you have somebody you trust this much, but certainly within yourself, thinking about, what am I afraid of? And, And there's two very different kind of answers. Am I afraid of committing to someone? That that That's sort of one thing to kind of work through and really figuring out and wrestling with the whole idea that, well, yeah, if you're going to commit, you do got to accept the idea that it's making a choice to give up other choices, that that's the deal. Um, on the other hand, your other answer that one could come to is, uh, I'm afraid of something about this person. Um, something's not quite right. Maybe they have too many drinks. Maybe they have these bad habits. Maybe they, you're not really quite sure how they're making that much money. You know, there's yeah. something, uh, those are two very different kinds of fears because the one is something you have to work in with yourself. And if you're making a good, a relatively informed, good, careful, not too fast choice in a partner, shared values, uh, attraction, absolutely shared sense that do you want kids together, you want to raise it, you know, figure that stuff out. Mm -hmm. If all those answers are looking pretty good and you're just kind of freaked about the cold feet about marriage, that's the, you work that through with yourself and your, your friends, maybe counseling, whatever. Uh, On the other hand, if you sense something that actually worries you uh, a good deal about this other person, uh, that, that's worth listening to. And that, that case is more like, Maybe you should move on, and and for sure, what you shouldn't do is move in. The, the, yeah, move on, not is, in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the worst thing of all is to move in to test the relationship. Because what <sighs> our data shows is that if you're doing that, you actually probably already knew all you need to know. Yeah, and then yeah, then it's just time. Yep, it's you're chairs just, on the Titanic, right? Yeah, quit exactly, moving the chairs yeah, exactly. around. Exactly. Welcome to your cabin. Love uh, that. Kind of already below water. That's right. <laughs> Well, Scott yep. Stanley, so appreciate you um, and your work. If if they want more information from you, I guess sliding versus deciding dot com, and that yep. is good stuff there. It's great stuff. It's a blog with just a one a wonderful information on it. But it's sliding versus vs deciding dot com. So yep. sliding Any of those vs deciding. We'll, we'll get them to that. And then in terms of the things we talked about today, that book. The Power of Commitment really uh, gets after a lot of these kinds of things, and they can get that anywhere. Yep, anywhere. Because you're everywhere. (laughs) Dr. Scott uh, Stanley, you really are, and I really respect you a lot and the work you're doing. You're changing a lot of lives and uh, educating us in in the meantime. So we are for sure going to beg to have you back on another time. 
Thanks so much, man. This was a real delight. You bet. Thank you so much, Dr. Scott Stanley from the University of Denver. Slidingversusdeciding.com. When we come back, we're going to wrap up the show. Going to get another perspective on commitment to see if Rob learned anything from Dr. Scott Stanley. See if he's going to risk even more. Uh, And, you know, maybe we'll have a marriage someday. On the show, on the Matt Townsend Show, on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. New bionic legs are helping patients that were previously bound to a wheelchair stand tall and reach farther than ever before. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. For hundreds of years, most people paralyzed from the waist down due to spinal injury have relied on wheelchairs. And while using a wheelchair offers some mobility, it still places significant limits to where you can go and how fast you can get there. California-based Berkeley Bionics has developed a new exoskeleton system called E-Legs. The advanced lower body robotic system uses artificial intelligence, advanced sensors, and gesture recognition programming to enable wearers to stand up and walk. Advanced versions of the system will let users turn a variety of corners and even climb stairs. Users can put the lightweight and compact E-Legs on over their own legs in just a couple of minutes. The system is battery-powered and rechargeable, and it can work for up to six hours at a time. Initially, the apparatus will be used under medical supervision for rehabilitation and training. The company behind eLegs is working on a streamlined commercial version for all-day use in homes. It's more than one small step towards a brighter future. For Innovation Now, this is Crystal Browning. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. We all know that managing our work and personal lives can be a difficult balancing act, as well as keeping track of our health and general well-being. Well, that's why Matt Townsend, life coach and counselor, is here to help. Join Matt for guidance and advice on how to maintain happy and healthy relationships by tuning into The Matt Townsend Show weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody. To the Matt Townsend Show, we're wrapping up our topic here of commitment, love, you know, getting married, daring to take the leap. And uh, we've got one more little story here by one of our producers. Now, as we're talking about commitment and its issues, I thought that it would be interesting to hear about the perspective from a young woman's perspective. Our producer, Madison Allred, gives her opinion about commitment and what can go wrong. commitment. Geez, I think that there is a misconception that all women just want to have boyfriends and be married. While this is true for some, it is not a reflection of the masses. A lot of women want to take their own sweet time, and if they have a relationship, great. If not, oh well. I think that this stereotype of women wanting commitment is perpetuated by the younger, louder group of girls. 
I have actually sat in on a conversation that went a bit like this. Like, oh my gosh, we just went on a third date. I mean, one date, sure, he likes me. Two, he's so interested. But three times, three is the magic number, ladies, and he must want to be my boyfriend. This idea, of course, is false, but there's a little bit of truth to it. It is true that men put their time and money into things that they want or value, such as a certain lady. But there's no set or certain amount of dates that shows his commitment to you. For me, I do not assume anything unless I've actually talked about it to him. Sure, if the guy's taking me out on a couple of dates, I know that he likes hanging out with me and probably thinks that I'm cute. But do I think that we are in a committed, monogamous relationship? Heck no. Now, moving on from dating, what about marriage? My best friend is kind of going through something where there's this guy who has taken her out on a lot of dates, and she's freaking out. She likes him, thinks that he's great. So I was asking her, what is the problem? And I finally got out what was wrong. Well, I just don't want to get married. I can see myself getting married to him. What? Hold the phone. Why are you even worried about marriage when you're not even dating? There are a lot of problems with this idea, but let me address the most basic, not wanting to get married. Now, I understand where she's coming from, and it's because she's really young. I think that this is pretty common for younger women because they don't want anything serious, and they still want to live a life. I have no idea where the preconception came that when you're married, you cannot have fun, but it's not true. I have a lot of cousins and friends that have gotten married and they still have lives and they're still fun to be around. I also find that a lot of women want to continue with their education and career and they think that being married will stop it. I personally think that whenever he comes along, I'll just get married to him. I'm not going to wait. I can still get a degree and have a job. The key thing is just waiting to have kids. Anyways, there are multiple pros and cons to that decision, but that's what I've decided. The major thing that comes from a woman's perspective is that if you want to be in a serious relationship with us, tell us. Communication is key and will help you build a lasting and successful relationship. Excellent job. Madison Alfredo, one of our producers. <laughs> Apparently they call you by the wrong name. Yeah. I, I didn't cannot... call you by the wrong I've made a lot of mistakes here, but I've never called you by the wrong You know, Alfredo. you've always remembered my name. I was just saying like how often people mess up my name. Is that a junk mail thing you got Alfredo uh, on or no, what was that? Like really, it's just so funny. Like my name is spelled all like A double L red. All red. Like that's how All red, like you're all red. Yeah, exactly. But I don't know, like, the Alfredo one was a substitute teacher. I love Alfredo. Oh, I do too. (laughs) Chicken Alfredo. And, like, uh, Alfred was, like, a birthday party invite. Madison Alfred. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's it's just embarrassing, whatever it is. And you're never, and you know what? Marriage is fun. I I know that's what I said. I've been married 20-ish years, 21, almost two years. Greatest thing I've ever done. That's my wife. Are you only saying this because your wife is listening? Yes, and I love her with all of my heart. <laughs> and she's special, and she's amazing, and you're only 21? No, I'm 23. I said that's like Oh, my life. word. You're a punk. <laughs> okay, so, Rob, we talked to Dr. Scott Stanley about commitment. We didn't get too much into your issues. Thank heavens for that. But what did you learn? We're going to ask everybody a round table here. Each have um, one second to tell us. What did you learn? Well, I, we mentioned uh, 
premarital cohabitation as being all the you know on the on the surface a person might think hey there's yeah, all the upsides but it's not it's actually because if, if a couple wanted to break up well they moved all their stuff together right. how do you you know and it creates a huge mess and so if you're going to go to that close of level right. pseudo commitment why not just commit and make a commitment get married fact, and just do it he just talked about how we kind of ease into it i think most of it's just we're too tired to go home so we just stay and then all of a sudden you're just staying over but you're not it wasn't your it wasn't like an intentional choice part of marriage is a choice what do you think sister alfredo <laughs> um kind of what i thought was interesting was how um living together Although you can kind of slip into it, it's a conscious choice to not be married. Mm. Because it's true. Like, you're just like, you kind of think, oh, I don't want to be married to that person, but we'll live together. I'm not committed fully enough to make the commitment, but I will share places, leases, stuff like that. So that's that's what I think would be interesting. Like, for me, it's just kind of like, so what, you're not going to marry me? Nope. Gone. Exactly. Okay, speaking of gone, Sky, what was your take? (laughs) Um... I kind of kind of learned the same thing from Rob because it made me think about some of my friends who cohabitate. And your friends? Is this a hypothetical? Like, no, I, like I've, I got friends back home that are co- that are cohabitating, and you're thinking, and and they've been together for two or three years. Yeah. It's like why not just? And then married? the idea that then we'll have babies, and then these babies, we're having these kids without actually making a choice. It's a big deal. Yes. Awesome. Okay, that's our learning, folks. Let's just let's just make some choices. I loved his advice. Let's make uh, let's make life a choice, right? It's a decision to do these things. Make a public declaration of your love, your appreciation, your affection for each other. Making it public makes it more permanent. Um, thanks for listening, folks. We'll be back tomorrow with more great ideas and tools for you and yours. Right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM One Forty Three BYU Radio.